The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us today. Our topic for this episode is the Pope's new encyclical on the environment. And, you know, we have had such a tremendous range of guests on Go Green Radio over the past eight years that we've been running. We've had politicians and four-star generals and actors and musicians and authors and all sorts of different amazing folks to talk to us about sustainability issues. But this is the first time in Go Green Radio history that we've had a Jesuit priest on the show, and I'm so excited to have Father James Martin on Go Green Radio today. He has been a regular on all kinds of programs, CNN, he's been on ABC, NBC, CBS, and for those of you who are like me, part of the Colbert Nation, he's also made several appearances on the Colbert Report, and we are so happy to have you on the show today, Father Martin. Thank you, my pleasure. Well, I'd like to begin by talking about why the Pope wrote this encyclical now. Why does he have such a sense of urgency about environmental issues? Well, it's part of Catholic social teaching to look at uh, issues of the day and comment comment on them from a spiritual perspective and provide some guidance. And the Pope, like everyone else in the world, is very concerned about, uh, you know, environmental change and what's happening to the environment, Uh, not only because he sees what happens, you know, just in general, but particularly because he sees what happens to the poor and how they are disproportionately affected by environmental change and also from a spiritual point of view uh, as as Christians and as Catholics we look at the earth as a gift uh, as creation something that God gives us to to keep and so all those things you know are brought together in this beautiful new encyclical but it's it's really dramatic because it's he's the first pope to really uh, raise it to this level of authority and encyclical is a very high level of uh, teaching authority in our church Well, let's talk about that for just a second, because I know that people have gotten the idea that, yes, this is an important document. But um, tell us what exactly an encyclical is, uh, because I'm not sure that all of our listeners are aware of the authority that comes with that type of a a teaching. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, There are different – in the Catholic Church, there's different levels of authority. It makes sense if you think about it, because – you know, what your local parish priest has to say about some movie, you know, I don't like that movie, you know, it doesn't have the same authority as, say, the Gospels, right, and what Jesus teaches. So I always, mm-hmm. you know, use those examples, you know, from one end to the other. Uh, and an encyclical actually has a very high level of teaching authority. The Pope is putting his whole uh, kind of moral authority behind this. It's not a homily that he happened to write. It's not an off-the-cuff remark. It's not even a book that he decides to write, um, and there are other kinds of documents. But an encyclical is a circular letter uh, that goes out to the whole church. And he addresses it very broadly. He addresses it to everyone on this planet. Uh, previously in the 1960s, 
uh, St. John Twenty-Third, who was pope between 1958-1963, issued an encyclical called Peace on Earth, which was about nuclear war. And that was also issued to every man and woman, I think, at the time. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's putting his moral weight behind this in, a, in this circular letter. But, you know, really is meant for everybody to read. Mm-hmm. Well, and I have to say, it is very readable. Um, mm-hmm. Don't be intimidated by 185 pages because it really is for the layperson pretty accessible when he talks about some of the most complicated sustainability and environmental pollution issues of the day. You know, a lot of people are wondering because, you know, our, our, collective memory can sometimes be very short and history isn't everybody's favorite class in school. Is this environmental concern a new concept for the Catholic Church or have other popes and other church leaders touched on this previously? Other popes have definitely touched on it, uh, both John Paul and Benedict, who are quoted in the encyclical, which is called Laudato Si, that takes its name from uh, a poem by St. Francis of Assisi, uh, spoke about these issues. And certainly, other bishops and Catholic leaders, and particularly what are called bishops' conferences, which are the local groups of bishops, you know, like, say, the bishops of the Philippines or the bishops of the United States or the bishops of France, uh, who are quoted in the document. So what uh, Pope Francis does is he doesn't, basically, he doesn't just say, all right, well, here's what I think about this. He says, now, here's what bishops from around the world think, you know, and here's what the bishops of Australia have to say about the way the environment is degrading, you know, say off the coast of Australia. And here's what people in the Philippines are saying. So it's kind of a global document. But uh, yes, you're right. Other Catholic leaders have said this, but no one and no pope has brought it all together in such a systematic way uh, in, and, and with such a high level of teaching authority in this encyclical. Mm-hmm. Now, I've seen some commentators who have described Laudato Si as the Pope versus Wall Street. In fact, that was the title of a of a journalistic piece I saw in a in a unnamed source. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll just right. I'm not, I don't want to give them too much. Credit. Yeah, that's okay. Um, but Father Martin, you know, you graduated from the Wharton School of Business and you worked in corporate finance at General Electric for six years. So I kind of feel like you have a unique perspective on this question. Is the Pope against capitalism? No, he's not. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a condemnation of capitalism. Here's the thing. In the, uh, one of the first interviews he gave in the magazine I work for, America Magazine, uh, the Pope used this great image of the church. He said it's like a field hospital, a field hospital. So if you imagine a hospital in the middle of war, and the church is like a place where people can come and get tended and cared for, uh, and you know, and healed basically. It's kind of a it's kind of a cool image. What the Pope is doing now is he's being like the physician, and he's trying to diagnose some of the problems of capitalism. And uh, he it's a very strong critique of capitalism because he basically says that we have elevated the market and we have deified the market over all else, and profit becomes the only measure by which we you know kind of understand ourselves. So. It's a critique of capitalism. It's not a condemnation of capitalism. It's like going into the doctor and the doctor saying, you know, you're very, very sick. That doesn't mean, you know, I hate you or, I, you know, I want you to die or something like that. Um, and, you know, he says uh, the reason that we can – the reason that we can see that capitalism is uh, problematic is, you know, all the poor, basically. And they, it is not taking care of the poor. And more specifically – when you make decisions solely based on the profit motive and you do not take into account the poor and the environment, the earth gets harmed. So that, mm-hmm. that's his point, basically, that you cannot simply say, 
you know, we're only going to look at the profit margin when we make this decision about consumption or production, you know, because that, that affects the environment. Well, it affects the environment and it affects society. And the Pope yes. just really talks about that beautifully, this connection um, between the economy and society and and the human element that is often overlooked. And I love the way that he puts that out there. And, you know, we have a lot of industrial countries in the world outside of America that are not capitalist societies. They're socialist societies and what have you. Um, and previous popes have issued encyclicals that critique our industrial system. In fact, in 1891, Pope Leo the the thirteenth issued Rerum Novarum, and I'm not sure I'm saying that right, but it's yeah, the, that's, that's, that's close. <laughs> <laughs> my my Latin's a little off, but um, but well, so that's mine, tra- so. <laughs> translated into rights and duties of capital and labor, and he addressed the conditions of workers in an industrial world, and in Laudato Si, Pope Francis reveals a new critique of the industrial system, which is something that a lot of people in the environmental world talk about. Too, and that's the waste that it creates, and how we've kind of failed to adopt the circular model of production capable of preserving resources for present and future generations, to quote the Pope. So, Father Martin, help our listeners understand why the church would opine about economic issues. And, you know, a lot of people say, hey, that is outside the realm of scripture and tradition. Help us understand that. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's definitely not, it may be outside the realm of scripture because. Uh, well, actually, it's not outside the realm of Scripture because Jesus talked about the rich and the poor. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus' parables were about the rich and the poor, many of them. Uh, there's, a, there's a parable about a rich man who passes a poor man every day, you know, on his way, who, a poor man who's sitting on his doorstep and doesn't even give him any food. And, you know, the rich man, not surprisingly, in Jesus' parable, ends up in, in hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he, he excoriates people who do not take care of the poor. And, you know, poverty... And taking care of the poor is a consistent theme of Jesus's preaching. So it's kind of very much in line with Scripture. Um, and in terms of tradition, you know, the Catholic Church has always tried to care for the poor and ask people to care for the poor. But more specifically, with Leo the Thirteenth, as you said, there's this great history of what's called Catholic social teaching that reflects that reflects on poverty and economic conditions and. It's perfectly in line with what the church should be doing because that's where people live. The church, you know, needs to meet people where they are. And, you know, were they to turn away from the poor or poverty, you know, it would be kind of irresponsible. There's a great quote uh, from Dom Helder Camera, who was a bishop uh, in Brazil. And he said, uh, when I feed the poor, they call me a saint. When I ask why they are poor, they call me a communist. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Right. How true. So, so the question is, and, and I think this is very in line also with some of our great uh, apostles of the poor, uh, Dorothy Day, the, the um, founder of what's called the Catholic Worker Movement mm-hmm. uh, in the United States, who was a uh, real, um, she started, uh, you know, houses of hospitality for the poor and soup kitchens, you know, would say it's not enough to, to ask, you know, whether or not you're giving money to someone. You need to ask, what are the systems that keep people poor? You know, what what are the systemic things that keep people in poverty? And that's what the church is trying to look at through its social teaching. Well, and and so as you mentioned, that's something that isn't new. That is something the church has always um, 
<laughs> gotten involved in. It's, and I think for some Americans who are in different faith traditions, that may be sort of an alien situation. But I think it's very much in keeping with what a lot of Catholics are used to seeing um, throughout the, the world. You know, I, I have to bring this up because we, the, some of the first backlash to the Pope's encyclical that we saw in the United States were some of the presidential candidates who expressed criticism. Um, mm-hmm. And there have been, you know, various political leaders, not just in the United States, who have expressed discontent with this encyclical. Even some of the leaders of developing nations like Bolivia and Ecuador have had their environmental records under scrutiny as the Pope encourages developing nations to consider the health risks to their people as a result of resource explo- exploration and exploitation. And so I, I just want to ask this very directly Father Martin, is Laudato Si meant to be politically divisive? Uh, no, it's not, but it it will be to the extent that people ignore it. Uh, you know, I mean, Jesus did not mean to be politically divisive, but, you know, in fact, he was. I mean, he, he created a great deal of political opposition, but that's not the reason he came. Um, the, the problem with the opposition, I think, is twofold, uh, and it, it mainly comes from Catholic politicians who are grappling with how to deal with this. Number one, the opponents often say, well, the Pope doesn't really know much about science, and so I'm not going to listen to him. I'm going to listen to scientists. Well, the problem with that is that all the scientists are united. So if you're going to say you're not going to listen to the Pope, you know, then listen to the scientists, and the scientists are saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. In fact, the Pope uses... Uh, in the encyclical, what he calls the best scientific research available. So it's not as if he's he's sort of coming at this without any expertise. Um, and also related to that, uh, people say, well, uh, I don't have to pay attention to this because this is not about something that's moral. You know, it's not it's not a morality issue. Mm-hmm. And you know, if if you don't think that caring for other people and caring for the world is a moral issue. You know, I don't know what to say to you. Uh, I mean, this is a moral issue. I think Catholics, some Catholics, and perhaps some Catholic politicians are used to the, are so used to the church pronouncing only on sexual morality, you know, contraception, abortion, mm-hmm. things like that, that they have somehow concluded that that's the only morality that matters. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and again, to underline, this is an encyclical. This is not something you can simply set aside. And so, you know, if you're going to set aside this encyclical, you know, uh, you can set aside other Catholic teachings on, uh, you know, on other sexual uh, moral matters and on other, you know, matters in of, of uh, you know, sort of the common good, things like that. So it's very selective, I think, for someone to say, well, I'm not going to pay attention to this one. Mm-hmm. You know? Understood. I mean, I think a fairer response would be to say, you know, I'm, I'm having a difficult time with this, you know, as a Catholic, not to simply reject it and say it has no claim over me. Well, uh, and I but, want to explore that in our next segment as well, because I know even as an environmentalist, there were a few things that when I read the encyclical, I wrote, ouch, in the margin, because it, yeah. it pinged me right between the eyes. So we're going to talk about that uh, coming up in a, in a next segment. Folks, don't go away. We have much, much more with Father James Martin, and we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. News, opinion, passion, 
Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. In case you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our topic today is Pope Francis's new encyclical on the environment. It's called Laudato Si. And our guest today is Father James Martin. He's the editor-at-large at a magazine that I love. It's called America, the National Catholic Review. Um, he's also the author of several New York Times bestsellers, a couple of which, I will admit, are on my shelf. Uh, just finished Jesus, a Pilgrimage, and I also loved his book, My Life with the Saints. Um, welcome. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, Father Martin. I'm really glad that you could join us for the whole hour. Yeah, my pleasure. You know, for centuries, critics of the Catholic Church have asserted that the Church is against science. And you mentioned um, the Pope's comments about science briefly in the last segment. And I want to give you a little bit more time to expand upon that. In this encyclical, the Pope is very clear about the role that science should play in discussions on climate change and the environment. And I think that may have surprised a lot of people. Talk to us a little bit more about that issue. Well, I think it does surprise a lot of people. There is this sense that the, you know, for a number of reasons, uh, the Catholic Church is against science. You know, written points to Galileo and things like that. But, you know, I I always remind people that uh, I have friends who are Jesuit priests and brothers who are physicians, astronomers, uh, molecular biologists. uh, (laughs) And so, you know, it really is kind of a false distinction. Uh, but in the in the encyclical, uh, Pope Francis basically says, "Look, I'm not going to try to settle scientific questions, right? I'm not going to get into a big big debate." But he accepts what he calls the quote best scientific research available today, uh, end quote, which I think is great. So he uh, 
he doesn't, it's not an argumentative document. Uh, he basically just states what is common knowledge. You know, for example, one of my favorite lines is he's talking about the forests in the Amazon and the Congo and glaciers and aquifers. Mm-hmm. And he simply says, we know how important these are for the earth. So, you know, he's not, he's not making this sort of scientific argument. He's just saying, look, all of us know you know, based on the best scientific research available, that this is what we need. This is what's important for the earth. This is how things work, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think is, I think is a very gentle way of doing it. Um, and, you know, of course, people can argue with some of his assumptions, but they are general assumptions that I think, uh, you know, all scientists, you know, or at least, you know, 99% of scientists agree on. And when people read it, they're not going to be surprised. I don't think they're going to say that this is, you know, crazy science. So the church is, you know... Faith and reason are not in contradiction in terms of the church. They both move towards the same end, which is truth. You know, they, they come to it in different ways and using different means and certainly, you know, having different questions and, and different open questions at the end. I mean, you know, both science and faith have mysteries at the end. I mean, you know, where the universe came from. And I was on Neil deGrasse Tyson's show a few weeks ago, Star Talk, and, you know, I was saying, you have your own mysteries, like how does quantum mechanics work? And, you know, how mm-hmm. can you say a light is a particle as well as a wave or an electron can be in two places at once. And, you know, those are mysteries, and we have our own mysteries, too. So uh, to answer your question more, more simply, though, they're not, science and faith are not in uh, sort of competition, and the Pope beautifully uses the best available science today. He really does. I mean, I was fascinated even just in the way that he described the carbon cycle and mm-hmm. how introducing more carbon into the atmosphere causes the oceans to acidify. I mean, he he explains it so beautifully and so simply that I think even a, a sixth grade science class could say, mm. oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And so, I mean, he uses some of the vernacular of the sustainability industry. I mean, he talks about biodiversity. He talks about ocean acidification. He uses terms like circular economy. But, you know, he does it in such a way that, again, it's very, very accessible. And I almost wish that some scientists could explain their science as eloquently as the Pope did, just because it makes it so easy for everyday people to understand. Well, it's funny. Uh, He has some background in chemistry, uh, by the way. Uh, And and I think at some point he taught chemistry uh, as a Jesuit, you know. uh, And so there's there's that kind of natural fluency with science and, and comfortability with science. But He's also a very good communicator. He speaks in very down-to-earth ways um, that that come from you know just sort of being among re- you know regular people, non-experts, non-scientists. And again, he wants to uh, address this encyclical to the whole world, everyone on the planet. So it wouldn't do him any good to make it super technical and you know kind of dense. Mm-hmm. So I, it is. It's a very beautiful document. And I want to go back to something you said earlier. Everything is connected. He. That's one of the great themes of this, the decisions we make in terms of consumption and production and economics and business, you know, affect the poor, affect the environment, affect our society. So it's, it's, it's a beautifully systematic and yet accessible document. Well, and let's let's dig a little deeper there because Laudato Si does make the connection between caring for the planet and caring for the poor. And and it seems so self-evident if you've been to a place where you've seen how environmental pollution and environmental degradation impact a local community, whether it's through water pollution or air pollution, what have you. But 
for some folks who are living here in the U.S. and we just haven't seen that, um, it may not be self-evident why, it, you know, caring for the planet is is a one way of an important way of caring for the poor. Talk to us a little bit about that issue and and bring that to light for us. Well, he makes it very simple, and I, I think it's the clearest explanation I've ever seen. And it's basically this: people who live in areas that are affected dramatically by environmental change, you know, drought, uh, floods, uh, things like that, you know, that we associate with uh, climate change, don't have the money to move. I mean, that's basically right. They don't have the money to move. They can't protect themselves. They don't have the money to, uh, you know, to rebuild, uh, to fix their houses, to uh, shop for food. They, they just don't have the money. And therefore, they are disproportionately affected. And also, so you think in the United States of something like Katrina, and you say, well, you know, why did people live in those, you know, those those neighborhoods? And you know, certainly they're they're they've been there for a long time, and and they they have roots there. You know, people in those neighborhoods that were predominantly poor neighborhoods, but also, you know, they weren't able to afford the wealthier neighborhoods mm-hmm. that were not in the floodplain, mm-hmm. right? So it's a that, that's a you know why can't people why wouldn't people move out in you know I used to work in East Africa why wouldn't people you know move out of these places where there's always drought well they don't have any money that's right <laughs> no. yeah uh, yeah why wouldn't it, a cattle farmer move from a place that's arid well he doesn't have any money and he can't buy new cows basically I worked with a man like that in East Africa so that's what he's saying and he's saying that we have to remember that when we are making our decisions you know because the the changes that are wrought on the environment as he says many times, disproportionately affect those who are the least likely, those who are the least able to, in a sense, defend themselves. Well, and I think one of the most dramatic examples of that is in India, where the the aquifers have been so overtapped for a number of reasons, and the farmers are unable to get the water to grow their crops and can't feed their families. We've seen horrible instances of many, many farmers committing suicide as a result of this. Right. And it's a combination of drought and lack of management of the aquifers and how much is going out as opposed to how much is coming in. And so, you know, it, it, there are many, many more examples, but that's the one that comes to mind. You know, in addition to concern for human beings, the Pope also urges us to care for animals and every element of creation, right down to algae. I love that. And mm. regarding the loss of biodiversity, the Pope pulls no punches. He writes this, because of us, thousands of species will no longer give glory to God by their very existence, nor convey their message to us. We have no such right. So Father Martin, how does this teaching jibe with the passage so often quoted in Genesis that gives humans, quote unquote, rule over fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. How does this jibe with that? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. And that's a very powerful passage. It's very moving where he says we have no such right. And we do not. We have no right to eradicate a species, you know. And from a religious point of view, these are beautiful creations of God. From a scientific point of view, you know, it's part of the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm no scientist, but where would we be without algae and plankton, right? I mean, that's food for all sorts of microorganisms and fish, and even though we, we think, well, you know, what do we need plankton for? Uh, how does it jive with that from Genesis? Well, the first thing to remember is that when, when and he addresses this in the encyclical, uh, 
you know, when we're told to rule over the earth, uh, we're told to till and keep it. That's in, the encycl- that's in Genesis, and that's in the encyclical, too. Mm-hmm. It's not that we have domination over the earth. We're also supposed to keep it. And the Pope says, uh, I saw an earlier draft, which actually, this, I like this part better. He said, we have tilled too much and kept too little. <laughs> so well part of it is, it's, it's not so much domination as stewardship, mm-hmm. which is a very important concept in Catholic social teaching as well. We, are, we do not own the earth. We do not own the creatures. You know, they are God's gift to us, and we are stewards. We are caretakers of this, you know, what the Pope calls, in a beautiful word, our good, our, our, our common home. Mm-hmm. You know, this is our common home. And we also don't have a right to do that to succeeding generations. Right. We have and no we... right to, to ruin, you know, the environment, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and use it uh, just for ourselves. So, so it's more about stewardship than it is about dominion. Well, and it's funny because, you know, in, and I am not, a Bible scholar, but in my reading, there's lots of examples of, you know, kings in the Old Testament and what have you who were terrible rulers. And yeah, and the people of God were, of were always against them. And they were, they were, you know, it was always shown that this is a bad way to rule. When you dominate over your people and you're cruel and you hurt them, that's mm-hmm. bad. Well, likewise, doing that to the earth, that's not good ruling. <laughs> Making well, it... even the rulers, funny enough, I'm reading a book by a fellow named Harvey Cox, who teaches at Harvard. He's an emeritus professor called How to Read the Bible, which is excellent. You know, and it's talking mm-hmm. about the Bible as, you know, how it was written, how it was put together. And, you know, one of the things he points out is that um, even the kings that are held up as the great heroes, you know, often went into other countries and, you know, massacred people, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and point being, you know, we can look at these people as, uh, you know, leaders uh, of, of the people of Israel and, and uh, you know, biblical uh, figures, but we don't have to emulate them to the letter, right? Right. I mean, so, right. so that's and, part of it. I mean, we, we need to read the Bible critically. I mean, you know, look at someone like King David, you know, who... Mm-hmm. The wife of one of his generals and uh, took took one of his generals, made sure that he got killed in battle and mm-hmm. married his wife. You know, that's David and Bathsheba. So, you know, mm-hmm. King David's a great biblical heroic figure, but we don't emulate him in everything that he did. And so so we're meant to think critically about some of these figures. Um, but the Christian, the model is is Jesus and how he cared for the environment and how he loved the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and made reference to them frequently. The Good Shepherd, exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> so what Absolutely. would Jesus do when we're caring for the environment? Think about that. Well, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we'll have much more on the Pope's encyclical with Father Martin, so don't go away. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Get ready for some lively discussion on Barely Controlled Radio with Jeff Reed. From sports to relationships to current events and more, pretty much anything is on the table. Besides being a place kicker for the Super Bowl champion Pittsburgh Steelers, Jeff Reed is also a journalist, blogger, and opinionist. And he's ready to talk to you and tackle the issues that you've been wanting to talk about. Tune in to Barely Controlled Radio every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. In case you've only now tuned in, let me catch you up real quick. Our episode today is all about the Pope's new encyclical on the environment called Laudato Si. Our guest today is Father James Martin, editor-at-large of America Magazine. You can check him out even on Twitter. I love it. At James Martin SJ. He's also on Facebook and has a lot of great things to say. Now, Father Martin, speaking of Facebook, speaking of Twitter, you and I are able to share this conversation today with millions of people around the world thanks to technology and thanks to social media. In fact, the Pope himself is very active on Twitter. However, Laudato Si has some pretty strong language on the role of technology as it relates to both environmental degradation and our hopes for solutions to climate change. Talk to us about the Pope's guidance on how we should and should not look at technology and social media. Well, uh, he says uh, more about technology. He says that uh, he calls something... He terms the well. Let me say this. He talks about what he calls the technocratic mindset, and the technocratic mm-hmm. mindset uh, is something that says that every technological advance is to be embraced unthinkingly. Everything that comes down the pike in terms of new ways of production and consumption are to be just embraced. And that you know, he, he talks about redefining the idea of progress, uh, and that progress may mean sort of living more moderately, uh, more simply and not uh, unthinkingly jumping on the bandwagon of every new thing that comes along without saying to ourselves, how is this going to affect the human person? How is this going to affect human society? And how is this going to affect the environment and particularly the poor? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just going to take a crazy example. So let's say that a new smartphone comes out you know, that's 3,000 times faster than any smartphone and it's 500 times clearer, you know, something like that in terms of, uh, you know, clarity when you're calling somebody. But it uses this terrible natural resource that needs to be 
mined and it comes at great expense to certain countries. The Pope would say, you know, do, do we really want to jump on that bandwagon unthinkingly? That, that's mm-hmm. the point. That's what he calls the technocratic mindset. Right. And I also appreciated what he said about, you know, in as much as some intellectuals will criticize people of faith for having blind faith, you know, that somehow, you know, God will just intervene, clean up the world and everything will be fine. You know, conversely, some people uh, have that kind of blind faith in technology that somehow science will save us all and there's a technological solution to climate change and we can all just keep living our lives just the same way we are because science will save us. And, you know, I'd like for you to kind of talk about that piece of the Pope's guidance on technology, too. Well, and and funny enough, he said just uh, this week, actually last night uh, in Bolivia, that we want change. You know, Mm -hmm. we, he said, do we realize that there are people, you know, that, that have no land? Do we realize that there are people who are suffering uh, under poverty? Uh, do we realize that we need change, basically? So we cannot rely on uh, sort of scientific research to get us out of this. I mean, he's not anti-science. I mean, once again, this is a chemistry professor who uses the best available science. But he's also savvy about what science can do. Uh, we, mm-hmm. Science cannot create, you know, more aquifers, right? Science cannot right. Uh, put back into the oceans and on land extinct species, right? I mean, there are some things that science can do and can help us with in terms of the environmental crisis, but the Pope is saying we have to change the way we think about progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think all you have to do is to look around to see that he is absolutely right on that. Right. I mean, right. You know, for example, does, does progress mean that every single person, you know, for example, in the developed world should consume more and more and more? That's that's, you know, basically our idea of progress. You know, we should have more and more and more things that work better and better and better and more efficiently. Right. But mm-hmm. what does that do to the environment and what does that do to the poor? And he also talks about the kind of drain of resources from the developing world to the developed world, mm-hmm. you know, kind of stripping the developing world of the resources you know, for example, so that we can have our better and better smartphones and TVs and, you know, uh, flat screen TVs and things like that. Does Absolutely. that make sense? Well, and, and I like that he's calling us to something more than just, you know, climate change scientific research. He's calling each of us to a new lifestyle and not just a different way of thinking, but a different way of behaving. And I think it's so interesting that the Pope extends environmental pollution beyond even merely our behavioral choices. In other words, what we do all the way to our character and moral fiber, you know, who we are. And he's not the first to assert that it's immoral to participate in the degradation of our planet, but he is exceptionally direct when he says that he believes that moral decay has helped to lead to our current current ecological predicament. And, you know, there are those who have taken real offense to this language because up to now they really haven't seen environmental protection in this light, and they might have been feeling perfectly pious beforehand. And as I mentioned in an earlier segment, you know, I personally felt the sting when the Pope wrote about the use of air conditioning. (laughs) When I saw that, I wrote, ouch, in the margin, because (laughs) I use air conditioning. Um, So, Father Martin, give us some strategies for overcoming some of that initial sting when we recognize our own culpability in environmental pollution as we read Laudato Si. How do we move forward toward what the Pope calls an ecological conversion? Well, the sting may not be so bad. Uh, The sting may be your conscience. 
speaking to you, and I often say that to people. They do call it the sting of conscience. You know, for example, you know, let's, let's just make up an example. If you're stealing from your company uh, and you have, you know, millions and millions of dollars that you're stealing to take a, you know, kind of a crazy example, and you pass someone on the street who's homeless and has no money, you may feel this sting of conscience. Oh, my gosh, what am I doing? You know, why, why am I stealing this money and why am I not being more moral? Why am I not being more charitable? Yeah, that's your conscience speaking. So the sting may not be such a bad thing. Uh, but I think what people need to realize is that, that that's merely the beginning because this document is an invitation. It's very gentle. He does not say he's not going to hit you over the head with things, but he's saying, look, let's, let me invite you into dialogue. I want to talk about this with you. I want to open up a dialogue and discussion and invite everyone in. And here's what I think. Here's my perspective on this, you know, as the Pope. Uh, of course, he, you know, as I said, he brings his authority into the conversation. Uh, but I would say, you know, for people to read it with an open mind and to, you know, remind themselves this is a good man, you know, a very holy man who wants to help, help the world, basically. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, we need to give him the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. you know, when we read this document. Sure. And let our hearts be changed, you know, and not hardened Absolutely. by this <laughs> and be open to, you know, learning something new and thinking about things in a new way. One of the sections in the encyclical that I found the most profound, and maybe it's just because, you know, I'm a mom of three and this has been on my mind since my kids were born. But um, the Pope couches this in different terms that I really liked. He calls it justice between generations. And this is an excerpt I really loved. Um, He writes, we can no longer speak of sustainable development apart from intergenerational solidarity. Intergenerational solidarity is not optional. It's no longer enough then simply to state that we should be concerned for future generations. We We may well be leaving to coming generations debris, desolation, and filth. We need to reflect on our accountability before those who will have to endure the dire consequences. I, I'm just so shook by that. I think that's amazingly powerful. I'd like for you to give us some thoughts about concrete ways that we could take, you know, this piece of the encyclical and put it into action. Well, I think just by remembering that uh, is very sobering. So to to think about the way that we are using resources now, uh, individually and socially, you know, and as a country, we could say as the United States, you know, because it translates into how we vote and and the way we make our voices known, uh, and think about it in terms of how it affects later generations. So, for example, um, you know, do you really want to uh, denude uh, the United States of, uh, you know, of trees, for example? Do you really want to... Um, use up the, I know a little bit about this because I read a big article about the Ogallala Aquifer oh, yeah. in, in the, in the uh, Great Plains. Do we really want to do that? Do, I mean, someone who is not interested in future generations would say, of course, no problem. You know, I need to, I need to do X, Y, and Z, and I just need it right now. So mm-hmm. it's a very short-term way of looking at it. Most people don't think that way. Most people are smart enough to say, well, you know, if I if I do X, Y, and Z, it's going to hurt my children and my grandchildren. You know, and the Pope is asking us to look even beyond our children and our grandchildren and look to the entire next generation of people that are going to be living on this planet. So because we're all brothers and sisters, right? And so we need That's to right. look out for one another. Well, and so it's one of those things. I think just by remembering that, it can kind of, it can kind of goad us to more careful decision-making. Well, one of the things that, you know, my husband and I talk about often is, you know, that 
fossil fuels that power our world are finite. Everybody knows that. There's only so much left. And so if we suck them down all in another generation or two, what what then? And and are we investing in, you know, renewable energy fast enough to replace this energy that we're using on fossil fuels now so that the standard of living that we want to pass on to future generations doesn't suffer? In fact, uh, with the nonprofit organization that I run, the Go Green Initiative, which is an environmental education program, our motto is, it's not enough to prepare our children for the future. We must prepare the future for our children. And it's all the same idea, you know, of making sure that, you know, the the standard of living we want to pass on to our children is something we're consciously thinking about in our choices today. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but there's much more Go Green Radio, folks, so don't go away. We'll be back right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. How do you achieve the utmost success in your life, career, faith, relationships, and more? It's all here in the business of living with host Scott Ventrella. Scott has experience as an executive coach, sought-after speaker, and lecturer. He and his guests will offer practical solutions and strategies to help you move to the next level of success no matter where you are in your life and career. The Business of Living airs live every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Our topic today is the Pope's new encyclical on the environment, and our guest is Father James Martin, editor-at-large at at America Magazine. You know, Father uh, Martin, the the Pope gives a lot of attention to water in his encyclical. He talks about how we waste it, how we pollute it, and how we introduce detergents and chemicals into it. He even goes into the privatization of water rights, and he states very, very emphatically that access to safe, drinkable water is a basic and universal human right. And while that seems like a concept we could all easily support, we only need to look at our neighbors in Pennsylvania to see how citizen groups that are concerned about the quality of their drinking water are currently in conflict with natural gas fracking companies. And we can see that this issue is not 
simple at all. So, Father Martin, what are some pragmatic and realistic ways that people of faith can bring the Pope's guidance on water to fruition in their communities and around the world? Well, that's a good question because, you know, that, that does turn on more uh, technical knowledge. And I would say, you know, by uh, educating themselves, first of all, right, and by going to sites like yours and reading up on the problems and, you know, accepting that this is a concern. You know, we just, I mean, we're, we get very uh, sort of lazy, I think, when we can just turn on the tap and assume it's, you know, clean water is going to come out. That is not the lot of, uh, of, I think, something like 800 million people around mm-hmm. the world do not have access to clean water. And I, I, when I lived in East Africa, I saw people that had to walk miles, you know, just to get a bucket of water. You know, and then even in our own country, you know, that's becoming more and more of a problem when we talk about uh, pollution, water well pollution, things like that. So mm-hmm. I think the first thing is to educate yourself and to see that as a problem and something that is worth our time, uh, every bit as much as, you know, any other social problem that we need to look at, and then to sort of take it from there. You know, the Pope is the head of a global church, naturally, and he commits significant attention to global politics. Um, But he maintains that solutions must be local, and he talks about that in the encyclical. And he also demonstrates a real respect for national boundaries and interests. And I'm wondering why he did that. Why is that so significant? He didn't just simply advocate for global solutions. Well, that's a great question. Uh, There is a Catholic principle in uh, social teaching called subsidiarity, which means that decisions are often better made on the local level. Uh, now, you know, oftentimes that relates to the church. Like, so, for example, like the local priest or the local bishop is going to understand the needs of of parishioners better than the Vatican is, right? So, mm-hmm. so people, decisions are left on the local level. It also makes sense in terms of environmental issues uh, because, you know, as he says in the document, um, you know, the, the issues, the environmental issues and the environmental solutions facing someone who lives in the rainforest are going to be different than for someone who lives in New York City. So it really isn't one size fits all. He's, so he's asking for people to look at these things locally because there's a lot of wisdom that comes uh, from uh, local experience. We know it better. And it's also often more easily, uh, in a sense, you know, put into practice you know, than, than it is when it comes from the top down. Certainly there are some decisions and some things that need to be top down. I mean, there are mm-hmm. some governmental decisions and social decisions that need to be mandated, right, in terms of, uh, you know, for example, safety and, and, and health and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are a lot of things that we can say can be handled and discerned on a local level, and that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to remind us that there's a lot of wisdom locally and that, that, that governments don't need to do everything from the top down, and nor does the church. Right. And the Pope, you know, he also gives a great overview, as I mentioned previously, about why excessive carbon emissions are harmful to the planet. And he he really goes directly to advocating for substituting fossil fuels um, and developing sources of renewable energy. And I'm sure that that is going to draw ire from oil and coal and natural gas companies and perhaps many Catholics and Christians who are employed by those companies. Um, What are some practical ways that people in that situation um, can respond to the Pope's guidance on this issue? Well, you know, they have to take it seriously. And there are some, there are going to be some people that are going to have their noses set out of joint and, you know, for whom this encyclical is not going to be good news, but bad news. Uh, You know, but you would ask the same thing, you know, about anyone who works for a company that is polluting 
or doing anything immoral uh, or, or doing anything that's harmful to people. I mean, at some point, uh, particularly, I would say, decision makers and CEOs in those companies are going to have to say, you know, what are my moral responsibilities? It is not simply to make a profit. That's what he is, he's saying over and over again. And once again, as someone who went to the Wharton School of Business and who believes in the capitalist system, I think it is the most efficient economic distributor of goods and services. It is. You know, there's, there's nothing that, that, that touches capitalism. Mm-hmm. But it's not perfect. And one of the imperfections is that, you know, the profit motive, you know, can blind people to all else. So if you're working for ABC Corporation, or I mean ABC TV, but XYZ Corporation, <laughs> make up a, a fake name, and you're going to make a lot of money uh, from a, uh, some sort of production that, that is very highly polluting, you know, the capitalist system will say, well, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, you're going to make the money. And there, there are some cap, uh, ec- economists would say, well, you know, a lot of people are going to be against you, and that might, that might harm your goodwill, and people won't buy your product. But in the end, it's all about profit. And the Pope is saying that cannot be the only yardstick that we use. Uh, and right. so for people who work in these corporations, they have to ask themselves, particularly the decision makers, serious questions. Well, and I think, you know, a couple of ways that, that you know, on this program, we've talked about um, the way that big oil companies and, you know, fossil fuel companies could be implementing something like this is, for instance, if you want to go and drill in the Arctic, before you do that, be sure that if there's a spill, and we know historically that's something that happens when you drill in deep water, mm-hmm. then be sure that you're not just leaving the spill response up to governments and maybe even technology that doesn't exist. Before you, you know, do that, make sure that all the safety mechanisms to deal with a worst-case scenario are, are in place. That's a moral well, exactly. thing to do. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No I would, worries. I would say, I would say exactly, and, and going beyond that, I would say that you know, a lot of these things are done with cost-benefit analysis. So if there is a spill, how much will it cost for us to clean it up, and you know, how much will we be sued? So if you're going to make up $2 billion off of this you know, oil pipeline and will only be sued you know, $500 million, and it's still worth it. Well, the Pope is saying that is not the only yardstick. Right, you know, So for, exactly. from a classic... Uh, economic point of view, you would you would make that decision. You would say, yes, we'll do it because we'll make more money than if we don't do it. But the Pope is saying that is not the only ruler that we need to use, right? We have to look at the environment and how it affects people. And so by that yardstick, we would say no to something like that, even though it's profitable. That's right. what he's talking about in terms of redefining progress. You know, in the few moments that we have left on the show, I want you to address everyday Catholics out there because they're often called on to defend the church when there are criticisms leveled against the institution or its leaders, and that can make some mm-hmm. people nervous. So sure. how do you encourage Catholics to respond to criticisms of the Pope's encyclical? Well, first of all, I would say read it. <laughs> <laughs> That'll help. <laughs> uh, and second of all, I would say it's, it, it's an invitation to dialogue. Uh, it's not a... a a, a, something, a stick that he's beating people over the head with. It is an invitation to dialogue, but it is also something that relies on good available science, you know, and it, it reminds us that creation is a holy thing that we are asked to take care of uh, and that we're going to have to give account, an accounting of when we get up to heaven. Uh, so, so I think there's very gentle ways of looking at it that I think can invite people into, you know, sort of consider the document. 
Well, and my hope too is that families will have a chance to discuss this and, you know, and, and talk about this whole idea of intergenerational solidarity. We feel that when we get together at a family reunion, you know, and, and grandma and babies are all in the same space. Sure. We feel that solidarity. And if we can feel that same way around the resources that grandma is leaving baby um, and, and just bring that into a conversation that already exists. We love our children. We love sure. our children's children um, and make natural resources and the conservation of those part of the conversation we all win well father martin i am sorry our time is up but it has been a thrill having you on the show and i'm really glad that you were with us everybody you can father you can follow father martin on twitter at, at james martin sj we're going to be here same time same place next week with more go green radio until then have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.